Welcome to season three of the Iceman Kicking Podcast. My name is Brett Arkellian. Kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Iceman Kicking Podcast. What what keeps you uh, in a place and what helps sustain a job when so many guys are end up jumping around? Like, what's the secret? So number one, do a good job where you're at and the world will build a pathway to your door. And the second thing is find a need and fill it. Welcome to the Iceman Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cool questions, even colder guests. And I am your host, as always, Brad Kelly. Really fired up for this guest today when you talk about the premier special teams coordinators in college football. Uh, his name often comes up uh, a little bit about today's guest, Coach John Baxter. Uh, he seems to have coached everywhere, started out his career at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa in 1986, uh, went to Arizona, uh, spent some time at Maine, uh, back to Arizona, uh, had some success there at Tulane, and uh, most notably, for the uh, majority of his career, spent time at Fresno State. And as I was a kid from from fourth grade, we'd, we'd park on Browning Street and we'd walk over by uh, the Newman Center Church and we'd go watch uh, Fresno State go and block a bunch of kicks. Uh, so had a lot of success there at Fresno State until 2009. And then he went to the University of Southern California, one of the premier institutions on the West Coast, uh, and spent time at Michigan, USC, and is back at Fresno State. Coach John Baxter, thanks for being on the show today. How's Fresno treating you? It's great. I mean, it's it's Fresno summers. It's it's uh, triple digits every day, right? Um, but uh, closing in on training camp and looking forward to it. Good. I'm fired up. Yeah, I'm fired up. We got the opportunity. I know you're getting going here now, Coach. Uh, you love to rope. Okay, mm -hmm. am I saying that right? That's yeah, yeah. roping. You love that we both share passion for the show Yellowstone. Um, I know you'll come out in the jeans, the belt buckle, the cowboy hat. Is this true to say, are you truly the last great cowboy of college football coaching? Or do you know anyone that shares that same passion as you? Uh, I don't know another one. I don't know another one. But uh, one of the things that happens when you have consistency in your career and you spend a long time at one place, um, you develop hobbies. Okay. Um, if you move every two years of your life, it's, it's hard to even know your neighbors. But essentially, I've only had two jobs for the last 22 years. And uh, um, I, I know those jobs well. Um, I know who I am. I know what makes me happy. And, uh, you know, uh, that whole statement of the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence, the only grass I'm worried about is my grass. Okay. And my grass is green if you mow it, fertilize it, and water it. So, uh, so yeah, we've raised our kids. My kids went from birth to college with one move in the same state. And, uh, and so, you know, they grew up playing high school sports. They had horses. Uh, one of my daughters did, did high school rodeo and all that stuff. So it's been a really good run. Definitely. You know, and you hit on that. It's something I'm, I'm interested to ask as someone who's been there and done it. Um, my special teams coordinator at Virginia Tech, James Shebus, had was really proud of only coaching um, under two head coaches in the duration of, I don't know what it was, 15, 20 years. You have had almost that same experience. What what keeps you uh, in a place and what helps sustain a job when so many guys are end up jumping around? Like, what's the secret to being employed and doing a great job all the time? Right. Well, you know, uh, 
I'll tell you a couple, couple things. When I was in, in college, I was a physical education major. And uh, the head coach had us read an article by a guy named Shirley Majors, who was Johnny Majors' father. He was the head coach at the University of South in Suwannee, Tennessee. And the name of the article was called My Advice to Young Coaches. And he said two things in that article that, uh, let's say, I'm quoting almost 40 years later to you. It says, number one, do a good job where you're at, and the world will build a pathway to your door. And the second thing is find a need and fill it. Okay. So early in my career, I made all the, the natural short-term moves, being I was Iowa State for Jim Kreiner, who got let go that year. Jim Walden came and retained me as a GA. So I was two years Iowa State under two coaching staffs. Um, I got hired at the University of Arizona for my third GA ship in three years. And at the end of that year, I got a full-time job at the University of Maine. I was there one year and uh, we had a great season in 1989 and the head coach at Arizona called me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming back to Arizona where I had GA'd. Interesting, I got hired at the University of Maine because of a relationship I had at Iowa State with Tom Lichtenberg, who was there. I was at Arizona for two years and then ultimately went to the University of Maryland um, which is kind of crazy, but I went for a $10,000 pay raise from 45,000 to 55,000. I mean, those numbers don't even compute with the numbers being thrown around with today's salaries, but I was probably a short-sighted move, but nonetheless, uh, uh, that's where I learned that, I, that moving for money is not the reason to move. Okay. We ultimately lost our job there. So I ended up at Tulane and I was there three years. We lost our job there. And at the same time, Pat Hill had gotten a Fresno State job. So at that point, I had been two coaching staffs at Iowa State, Arizona, Maine, Arizona, Maryland, six institutes, six moves, five different coaching staffs. Um, and that all happened between 1986 and 1996. Okay, so 10 years. Um, but the relationship with Pat Hill, he was the center guard or he was the uh, offensive line coach at Arizona and I was the tight end coach. So the pattern that you can see in my career is I've been hired back to where I GA'd. I've been hired by people that I knew, people that I worked with, so that speaks to that article of do a good, find a need and fill it, which is, you know, kicking game, academic problem, children, uh, tight ends. Um, I've coached every position in the game now, except quarterback um, as a position coach, but, and developing relationships, right? So now here I come to, to Fresno State with Pat Hill. And, uh, but the thing that had changed in my life is, my wife and I had a one-year-old daughter at that point, Kelly Baxter, who's now 26. And the second uh, daughter, Mackenzie Baxter, was on the way. She was born in uh, May of 97. Um, when they say having kids changes your life, it does. And I did not want the instability and the movement that I had had in my career for them. But I wanted to be a college coach. Well, with Pat, I shared a value system. In, in how we 
coach the game and developing toughness and how we recruit and how we discipline our players and what we stand for. And over that time, you know, we won an unbelievable amount of games. My last game at Fresno State was in 2009, December of 2009, and that was our 100th win together. Okay, so through that time, when you win, you're going to have opportunities to move. Um, I had them. Everybody had them. Um, so I said no to every single one of those, and there was a whole bunch of them in the NFL, in college, whatever, because I loved the value system of the head coach. I loved the program I worked in. I liked the guys I worked with, and I loved the way my kids were growing up. Uh, I love the schools that they went to. And, and so there's a dollar figure associated with happiness. Now, what it is, I don't know. But if you double my salary, I'm miserable every day. What have you really done? I mean, you can only spend so much money on a house and a mortgage payment and whatever. So all you're doing is banking more money and exchanging that for misery. Okay. So the hardest move of my entire career was in 2009 after that season when I had an offer from USC and I had told him no three times. And of course, Lane Kiffin was the head coach who was a player here for us. Okay. Again, another relationship that, that was uh, a long-term relationship. And, uh, and so Pat looked at the contract and he said, I'm going to tell you one thing you need to go. You need to protect yourself. They're going to pay you a lot more money than you're making here. And I don't, I'm not sure where I'm at with the AD and sure enough, 10 months later, he got let go. Okay. So, um, then USC and then Lane got let go. I went to Michigan for a year and then I came back to USC. So that'll bring us up to date. But the interesting thing with all of that is I've had a guy, a discussion with a guy from sports illustrated. And he says, I always like to ask people unique questions. And I said, okay. And he said, there's one thing about your resume I think is unique. And I said, what's that? He says, you've worked at the same school twice, three times. Why? Because I was at Arizona twice. I was at USC twice. And I was at now at Fresno State twice. Find a need and fill it and do a good job where you're at. And the world will build a pathway to your door. You know, and if you really build relationships and and uh, don't burn bridges. That's what happens. Find a need and fill it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that going back to that area. And, and I'm sure it's a sense of pride, too, after being there, right? You would want to go back and, and be like, hey, I want to do a good job. And they remember what a good job you did and stands right. out. Right. 100%. So uh, um, I was I, I have never gotten a job. Uh, from a person who I didn't have a relationship with. The hardest job to get was my first one. And from then I made a relationship with somebody who ultimately kept it going. So hear that young coaches, it's about the relationships you build, right? Not about reaching yeah. out and DMS and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what it is. It's, it's the relationship you build and the job that you do, you know, now coach, you hit on that a little bit. And again, like I said, I, I, you know, go to my, my grandma's house on Browning street, uh, not far from Bulldog stadium and mm -hmm. to all these games growing up, have some fantastic memories. There's a few things that stick out to my mind during your 
your time and the 100 wins you and Pat Hill had. Uh, and we've talked about this before. In 2001, uh, uh-huh. you guys had some, and Coach Hawk uh, was in on this conversation too, had some bone-crushing hits and some, you really set the tone. And, and we talked about the hits uh, versus Boise in Oregon State. But what can you tell me uh, about the, that time that you remember and, and those games too? I mean, those, those were really impressive games. Right. Although some of a couple of those hits, well, they're indelible in my mind because they were illegal. Okay. But <laughs> I mean, back then, uh, it was a 15 yard penalty today. You're probably, you're kicked out of the game for targeting and you might be going to jail and being sued for assault. Okay. So we have a football is still a really rough game, but we have a, a much fairer version of the game these days. Uh, but, you know, the bottom line is uh, well before Boise State had a hammer and all these other guys, I mean, I can tell you that I know I had the first hammer in college football because I had it in 1989. And be the hammer, not the nail has been my slogan since the beginning. And uh, um, I can talk confidently that before there were turnover chains and everything else, I mean, I created that because I wanted a blue collar trophy for a blue collar job. And Coaching special teams was like finding a need and filling it. Um, you know, linebacker coaches, tight end coaches were a dime a dozen. You know, you get hired because you can do more, not less. So I became uh, an expert in teaching students how to study and dealing with at-risk students. I became uh, passionate about investigating, you know, how to be a better in terms of coaching the kicking game, both in terms of the technique of kickers, punters, and snappers, and then also the schematics of getting the team to uh, play well. And, uh, but, you know, when you, when your slogans be the hammer, not the nail, and they play like that, uh, sometimes you get in trouble for it. And uh, (laughs) I got in some trouble for it. But the fact of the matter is, is, uh, that was 21 years ago, and people are still asking about it. So uh, it did leave a lasting impression. Coach, it set the tone. I remember being in the stands. I think it was Oregon State. I'm sorry, the player's name again was Kendall was Edwards. Kendall Edwards. No, 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 Curtis Edwards. His okay, Curtis. No, it was Kendall. It was Kendall. Yeah, it was Kendall for sure. Yeah, and and Kendall made that hit. And I mean. You know, flags are obviously flying. I mean, didn't give a chance for that return to catch the ball, but man, it set the tone. We lost it. I mean, that was the most that I think that was legitimately one of the reasons I got into special teams was huh. watching that that play in the momentum change or all your guys block kicks. I, I know, uh, you know, I don't know if it was 2001, but you guys blocked a kick against San Diego State at home to uh-huh. win the game. Um, yeah. And they had a speed. The ball was at the 16 yard line. They centered it up. All they had to do is kick it. And what had happened? Uh, and we blocked it. We called timeout and got the guys over and said, okay, guys, we got to have this one. And, uh, yeah, we blocked yeah. it. Safety came up from seven yards out and came yeah. running and jumped and, and just mm-hmm. took it out of the air, man. We went crazy. Right. Yeah. No, it was, it's, it's uh, you know, since 97, um, the teams I've been with, it's, it's, we're north of 150 block kicks now. So. Uh, I believe in teaching it. I believe in executing it because, uh, you know, the, the 
the momentum uh, change in the game and the mindset it takes to play that physically dominant um, pays dividends in a lot of ways. How do you get a unit mentality wise to go out there and block 150 kicks? I mean, is it a, is it a culture thing? Is it a passion thing? Is it a word thing? Like what, what sets you guys apart? Why do you guys block so many kicks? Well, um, one, we got a, we got a system. Okay. We teach them how to do it. And two, uh, uh, I tell people all the time, I mean, I, I, I'd, I'll go on a hunger strike to find a way to block a kick on you. I mean, it's inordinately important to me. And, and it's just inordinately important to me. So, like, I don't know if who else is important to, but those players know when they come in the room that I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to detail that plan and, and nobody's going to be happy until we execute it. So, you know, you know how that, that line that, uh, like uh, um, happy wife, happy life. It's more like happy coach Baxter, happy life. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> like I am going to relentlessly pursue a physical style of play, you know, and, yeah. and not compromise it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that in turn translates on other units, right? Your return mm -hmm. unit is like you're, we talked about before, you're going to get better returns if you're, coming out harassing the punter and making him mm -hmm. uncomfortable and yeah and getting in people's heads all returns every return is set up off pressure because if you don't if you you know it's just like in baseball you know the the uh, a pitcher's dominance is set up by his fastball if you don't have a fastball you can't get guys out you know you there has to be something that they fear you know Absolutely. you don't have to block the kick but they got to be over there going, oh, my God, you realize they almost blocked that kick. I mean, that's enough. You know, absolutely. absolutely. Do you yeah. have a? So we talk about with our guys, too. We, you know, if you stay in a path, stay in the same plane or if you're on a plane, stay in the same plane or if you're, mm -hmm. you know, on the backside, you got a cross face. Do you have a term for that with your guys? Like what's your I know there's a lot of different trains of thought, whether it's crossing the punter's face or staying on the same plane. You know, what do you tell your guys? Take the outside hand, you put it across the ball, and you take your eyes and hands down to the ball, okay? You literally try to run your hands and eyes right through the ball, okay? But you got to see the ball. Um, it's just amazing how many guys get there and don't know what to do. And they put their hands up in the air, or they blink, or they whatever. And so you you got to build it in where you desensitize them to getting – getting punted in the face, you know, and we desensitize it. And one of the things I do is, is uh, every year I've done it, you know, I'm 59. So I don't know how much how long I can keep doing this because it hurts a little more now, but every year in the meeting room, I bring our punter in and, and I have our punter drop a ball and I block it full speed off them right in the meeting room. What do you mean? And you got to think if I miss it, it's going to go through a ceiling tile or, you know, whatever else, but. Are you talking but, about you're you're running at him or, or is he? Like, uh, I start about a yard away. Yeah, and he just winds and, up and, and I just I just I just take my hands and eyes down the ball. I mean I I I mean I try to eat it off his foot. Okay, but uh, you know I had a guy uh, this last spring. You know Carson King was in there and he's like he was punting. I'm like, quit babying it, punt the damn thing, right? And he did, and I freaking blocked it, and 
the players like love it. They're like, man, what's this guy going to do? I'm like, listen, look, if I can do it, you can do it. Dang right, coach. Shoot, you, you're going to get in a punt stand soon yeah. and show them some production I mean, you, stuff too. You got to passionately go after that ball. And when you're saying descent that you put a ball on a string, do you do stuff with that too or just easy? No, I just throw? block footballs off punter's foot. All the time. You know, I see guys, they got a ball on a string. They got a volleyball. They got a water polo ball. They got a soccer ball. We don't block soccer balls. You get block a football. So we block footballs off punters every day. You that. know? Yeah. That's the only way to train it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've seen every cockamamie idea out there. The only idea that matters is having a ball, have a punter punt a ball and take it off his foot. And when I say take it off his foot, I'm foot I mean, you got to send it back where it came from. You got to try to knock it back through the top of his foot. Like, don't let it leave the foot. With some anger. Yeah, exactly. So, right. Imagine playing ping pong. And if you were trying to block a guy's shot off the ping pong paddle, well, you got this ping pong paddle and that ball can come off that guy's ping pong paddle in any just enormous number of potential angles. But one way that ball won't come off the ping pong paddle is if you trap that ball with another ping pong paddle against the ping pong paddle. It's not going anywhere. Like, don't let that punt get off his foot. Be the paddle. Yeah, be the paddle. Be the hammer, not the nail. That's right. I love that. I love okay. that. Now, Coach, what do, you, what do you think, switching gears a little bit, what do you think uh, a lot of guys miss on? Or what's the fundamental you see that a lot of special teams units are just, you know, either not maybe not clueless, but they're not executing the right way? Well, oh, there's a few of them. But uh, I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you that I think kickoff return is the hardest play in football. And I don't think people train – you know, drop and contact point with the frontline guys very well. Um, and that's an extended discussion. You know, that's number one. Number two, you know, when you go, it comes to blocking punts, everybody goes, well, you know, well, well, what if we rough the punter? I go, okay, we might. It's occupational hazard. You know, if you're going to play with explosives, like somebody might get blown up, but, you know, I mean, if you're going to use power tools, you know, just know that they could hurt you. But the point is, when you're using power tools, you better know what you're doing. And as long as you know what you're doing, people use power tools every day. Okay. So, you know, and there's some things, some techniques that we have that are hard to explain in a format like this, but they're called power tools. And, and we know that they're highly volatile, highly physical tools. Okay. But they're fine as long as you learn to know how to use them. You, know, you only have three weapons, your eyes, your feet, and your hands. And that's it. And like I always say, keep your eyes on a target, your feet gaining ground, the hands on all blocks. And, uh, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your natural born life in this game trying to learn how to use your eyes, feet, and hands. One of the things I do know is that you can trade every foot problem. It, it can be traced to an eye problem. If their feet are out of position, their eyes were wrong. Right? Holding is not a violation of the hands. It's a violation of the feet. The reason you hold is because your feet are out of place. The reason your feet are out of place is you were looking at the wrong thing. So, uh, you know, stuff like that, simple stuff. Yeah. Base. Yeah. Eyes, feet, hands, right. You can pare everything down. That's, that's a good question that you answer really is, you know, what do you watch for on, on film? Well, I'm everything can go back to eyes, feet and hands, everything. Right. 
I mean, what else does it go back to? Your elbow, your rib cage, you know, your your knee. I mean, so yeah, that's and 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 so and then the other thing that I think is is that okay, there's two significant advances, maybe three, but two significant advances that have changed the game a real lot from when I when I was a graduate assistant, we were still 16 millimeter film. And we called them cut-ups because you cut the film, right? Um, the first thing that changed the game was videotape, okay? Because now, you know, we could make copies of that tape. Uh, and, you know, then the second thing that changed the game is, uh, well, once we went to videotape, it was less expensive to film the game. So what we did is we filmed the sideline, but we didn't, didn't cost that much more to buy another camera, film the end zone. Keep in mind that we didn't go to video till 90 and computers weren't really the thing to use until 98. Okay. Um, so only, we only been using computers and football for 20 years. Right. Okay. As far as using film on there. Well, here's what happened. You know, back then, uh, through the 90s, we only exchanged sideline copy. So the other significant advancement was uh, when we went to digital was intercutting film. We didn't exchange intercuts till late 90s for sure. Okay. And I remember it was it, now if you gave any coach, a, you can only have one angle. I'm sure most people would take the end zone shot. But that's not what we had back then with 16 millimeter film. So once you exchange intercut, understand you have twice as much film. It takes a certain amount of time to watch the game sideline. But if you're watching the intercut, the same play takes twice as long. Um, I remember a couple of times calling friends of mine going, hey, I got your end zone. I got your end zone from North Carolina, you know, because we didn't exchange those. Well, what the computer with an intercut allowed us to do is because of digital files is then, you know, if there was a great play in the second quarter of a game, back in 60 million film, you had to get the can out, you had to put the reel on until you found the play and then watch it. Now you can just two mouse clicks and you're there, right? You would think, oh, that would make the game easier. It's made it harder because it's allowed for more micro analysis okay, of really specific things. We used to sit there on the sideline film and go, is that a three technique or a four eye? Well, with end zone film, you know what it is, okay? All right, so that, now bring up to the current time, videotape, end zone shots, digital files. Now you got guys that'll sit there late at night and go over and over and over and over and over. Let me see every right hash kick between the 40 and the 40, you know, which has brought in a lot of schematics. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, there's a bunch of guys out there that are trying to win with their grease pen. And I call that they're trying to pencil whip you. Okay. And you know where I'm at right now? I just want to whip them. It's a game of technique. And I tell the players, we have simple, effective schemes, and we do it at a high rate of speed. 
Okay. So what, why is it done simple? Because you can't coach effort. You can't maximize effort till the assignment is second nature. So if you're always trying to scheme somebody and always giving somebody a new assignment, a new variation, a new this, you can't maximize effort. And my point is, is every game to me is a technique test. And if I play faster than you, I win. Full speed decisions. Full speed decisions. That's awesome. That's right. Yeah. No, that's, that is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Teams will try to, especially now that they have a staff of three special teams guys, they're trying to do all these different formations and stuff. And it's all about the fundamentals. It all goes back to technique. Oh yeah. I mean, I kick for the right hash to the right corner. I have since 1986, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, every head coach I'm with says, yeah, well, do you ever change it up? Nope. And I go to win and get old. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah, still got to stop me. You know, or everybody, everybody knows where the ball's going. Yeah, including us. And I'll promise you, we'll cover those angles way better than you're going to block those angles. Yep. Yep. Um, and here's the deal. I mean, not every, you know, it's, it's like a bunch of tough talks sitting here talking like that, but not every play goes my way. You know, I've had some plays go against me. But where I'm, what I'm exceedingly comfortable with right now is if I go down, I'm going down doing what I believe in. And it's not what you do that matters. It's what you do when it breaks that matters. Can you fix it? And I got a GM car and I can take a catalytic converter off an Oldsmobile and I can put it in my Chevy and I keep going down the road. Because you know how it works. Yeah. That's right. Well, Coach, I, uh, man, this has been awesome to, to chop things up with you. I know you're a busy man. Um, one last question before sure. we go. You spent so much time with Pat Hill, obviously, during the Fresno State days. Right. And, and you obviously have a connection with Jeff Tedford. Uh, and, you know, being, being a Fresno State guy and, and experiences there, uh, you know, what are the similarities? And also, what do you expect from the team this season? I know I saw the Mountain West rankings. You guys are coming out as the number one team in the West. I know those don't matter, but, mm-hmm. you know, what do you, what do you think as far as those two subjects? Well, uh, number one is, hey, 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 if they rank you number one, it's nice to be thought of that they, they believe you're that highly competitive. Okay. I mean, that ranking won't win us any games. Um, so you got to go out there and play for it. But uh, um, I don't many, I don't know many last, last place ranked teams that uh, win the league either usually. Um, so, uh, you know, it recognizes, I think, the work that we've done. But, you know, the thing that's unique at Fresno State right now is Jeff Tedford's the head coach who I coached with here in 97. Um, when Pat was the head coach, Pat's still around, comes to practice, not every day, but often, um, does the radio, loves coming to the office. You Jethro Franklin, who played at Fresno State and uh, uh, then spent the last 15 or so years in the NFL. Um, I coached with the 97. He's on the staff. Tim Skipper, who was a captain for us in 99, um, and then went off in his coaching career, and he was at around at University of Florida, et cetera. You know, um, he's uh, his dad and two brothers both been in the NFL. He's back on the staff. J.D. Williams played in four Super Bowls with the Bills and played at Fresno State and was a GA for us back in 97. Uh, Kevin Coyle, the defensive coordinator who um, I introduced Pat to and was here. He's been in the NFL the last 20-something years. 
Um, so, you know, Kevin calls back at defense coordinator. So between Jeff, myself, Jethro, Skip, uh, JD, Kevin Coyle, I mean, more than half the staff's been friends for 25 years. And uh, we share a value system, like I said before. Uh, we share a belief in teaching technique. Um, we love coaching, but we love each other. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people in our game, especially since the big money started to happen, that are not having fun. And we're having a ball. And, uh, and you know, there's one thing that's never changed in Fresno. You know, Fresno, Fresno is a really hot town in the summertime. Um, it's a really blue-collar place. It's a small town that got big. And if you don't like playing football, then you'll hate Fresno State. Okay. But if you, you know, you know, if you want the whole unbelievable campus experience and all this, then go to Stanford. Okay. But if you like to play ball, and I mean blue collar ball, where we line up and we hit people, you know, and love being around teammates who are the same way, then this is your place. You know, it's uh, small enough to know you, large enough to serve you. And, uh, this is this is this is a football program for people who like to play football. That's awesome, man! You got me fired up, coach. I want to go yeah. play for you now. Okay, good. Okay, have at it. <laughs> All right, coach. Well, hey, man, I I appreciate it. It's it's been awesome to to get to know you and obviously uh, learn a little bit on your tutelage. And uh, best of luck to you and the dogs this season. For sure. Hey, you know, let's go. Shut up and hit somebody. Right. Shut up and hit somebody. Anytime, any place, anywhere. It's time for some bulldog ball. <laughs> All right, coach. Thanks a lot. We'll talk okay, to you Brett. soon. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Right, a word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by The Kicker's Bible. The Kicker's Bible. Ever wondered about how many kicks you should do during practice after pulling your quad multiple times? Repeatedly snapping the ball over your punter's head? Keep getting dumped by all your girlfriends for missing kicks. Well, we can't help with all those things. But for some of those, there's The Kicker's Bible. Proven training methods and secrets used by NFL specialists, written by yours truly, Brett Arkellian, with over 20 NFL specialist accounts, including personal excerpts from record-setting and Hall of Fame specialists, David Akers and Shane Graham. If you are interested in any of these fantastic tips and excerpts discussed in this episode, visit IcemanKicking.com or go to my Twitter bio. Iceman underscore kicking.